said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my child. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all others will find their place in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider our text today, we pray as always for insight and understanding on who you are and who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing our sermon series. We're ending, actually, our sermon series on Daniel and the Revelation. We've been journeying together through these prophetic books here in the uh, fall season. It's time for the Advent season. We're going to be decorating and things are going to be transformed in this, this space. Actually, next week we're celebrating Thanksgiving. We're going to hear some testimonies from our community. But today we're ending this series that, series that really has just hit the highlights. I mean, there's only so much you can do in the short amount of time that we've had together. Michelle and I have done our best to try to cover as much as we could. So, but this was really a survey of, of the books of Daniel and Revelation. And so we are continuing today or ending today, this uh, series that has been a fun journey, and you can go back to adventhope.org and find all of our previ- previous messages there. Again, we've just scratched the surface, but uh, there's so much more to do on your own, too. Homework, plenty of homework in Daniel and Revelation to pick up on. And so today we are reading toward the end of the book, second to the last chapter, and John, who was one of Jesus' disciples, he's seeing in vision a new heaven and a new earth. Things are made completely new. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And so the Apostle John talks and describes about, describes these things and the people who are there as being uh, victorious. And they, they will inherit the earth. They will inherit all that God has made. Um, inherit is an interesting word because it implies not that they have earned this, uh, this achievement, this thing that they're being given, but that they are getting it because of their relationship and their relation to the one who has. And so this isn't something they've gained. They are inheriting this, this earth. And again, the Bible describes them as victorious, which is also uh, a really cool word. And uh, I'm going to bust out with some Greek here because you know I'm obligated every three months to show that I took Greek in seminary 20 years ago, and that's what we're going to do. But this is a cool Greek word, so I'm not just fooling around. The word is nikon for, for uh, victory, victorious, and uh, of which we get the word Nike. So I wore Nikes today. I hope, I hope you have them too. And I think earlier we decided that uh, you're wearing Converse today. Adidas, okay, all right. Well, I don't know what, Greek, what word Adidas comes from. I think that's a made up word, but budget. Nice, funny, funny, that's good. <laughs> all right, so you, if you know the Greek god uh, Nike was the god of uh, victory, she is uh, enthroned there in one of her, my favorite statue of all time there in, uh, in the Louvre with her wings spread out. Nike, if you're into Roman, Victoria is, is her name. But uh, anyway, Nike. So Nike right there in, uh, in Revelation chapter 21. By the way, everyone gets free Nikes today. If you look under your seats, this is only for the, those people in person. Under your seats, you get a Nike. You get a Nike 
So Zoomers, sorry, sorry Zoom. Uh, you have to be in person to get the free Nikes. Um, that is not true. There is no Nike. I'm sorry. That's not a good way. What's that? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. This is a terrible way to start a sermon. Is to somebody did look under their seat. Alex, were you looking at? <laughs> why not? Why not just check and see? Anyway, all right. Back to where we we're going. Nike. Nike, the god of victory. So victory. Nike. These are victorious people, and it implies that there is either a battle or a race that they have been victorious from. Now, you could run with either metaphor because there's the metaphor of a battle and warfare in the Bible, but today we are going to run, pun intended, with the idea of a race. And there is, of course, precedent for this because the Apostle Paul, uh, the great communicator of the gospel in Hebrews chapter 1, says that we should throw off everything that hinders us and any sin that entangles us and we should run the race with perseverance. And he's talking about the same race that we're talking about in Revelation chapter 21 when we are referencing these victorious people who are there at the end in the earth made new. And so the reality is that we are all in a race. This is what Revelation is asserting. We are all in a race and there are those who are going to finish the race uh, strong and be victorious, and uh, they, are, they are Nike. They, they are victorious. Now, here's good news for you. The race is not a, a sprint. This is a, a long race. It's a, it's a marathon, right? So whoever comes in first, that, that doesn't matter. Like, everybody is victorious, whether you're the first one or whether you're the last one. Everybody gets in. Now, this had resonance for me. I was walking with the kids Recently, I was walking with the kids in Central Park, which is, for those of you on Zoom, we are just a few blocks from Central Park, and so we went over there on Marathon Race Day a couple weeks ago, and I know, by the way, Veronica, who is here somewhere, maybe she's downstairs, with, ran in the race and received a, a medal, because everybody, everybody gets the medal, right? Anyway, we were over there at night, and we were walking, and it was dark, because now on the East Coast, dark is very early, and so, but it was, you know, it was late. The race had been going on for a long time. It starts at like nine in the morning or something like that. And so we were walking over there and there were still racers, still runners running away at night in Central Park. And I was like, well, that's a long time to be running. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because as long as you finish, that's what's important. It's not about who comes first. It's whether you finish or not. So I was really impressed with those people running late into the, to the evening and, uh, they know they're going to they're going to be victorious even if they didn't come in first and this is the same idea of the revelation 21 uh, victorious people those who are, who are nike who are, are victorious they, it doesn't matter first or last if you finish you are victorious so now i was thinking about this and then i was you know my 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 interest was peaked and like okay what was the longest marathon ever run and so did you know that there is a record for slowest marathon? It was Alex, actually. Um, no, bad joke. Okay, no, there is a man, Lloyd Scott, in 2002, he ran the London Marathon. That's not here, that's in London. Is everyone, we're doing okay? I feel like we're a little sleepy today. Okay, all right. London Marathon is in London. 2002, this guy, uh, Lloyd Scott, he's a firefighter. I don't know the backstory of this, 
but he decided he was going to run the marathon in a in like an antique diver's suit. You know, so that's the suit, the giant suit, and with the the steel or whatever the thing is on his head. And so he ran, and he got the record for slowest marathon runner. It took him five days, eight hours and 29 minutes to finish that race. But he was not satisfied because he decided that he was going to fly from uh, London to New York and run the New York City Marathon, which he also did, and broke his slow record with some other obscenely slow time. So there are slow marathons. But then I kept going because, you know, this is what you do when you're preparing a sermon. You've got to do that research. And so I went in for you all, and I did the research because there's an even slower marathon uh, that was finished on March 20, 1967. Shiso Kanakuri, Japanese runner, he completed the Stockholm uh, Marathon in Sweden in a time of, get ready for this, 54 years. 246 days and five hours. Now, I think that even Alex and I can beat that time. Derek. And Derek. All right. Guys, are we in for New York City Marathon next, next uh, year? Let's do it. I think we need a running club to get that going. And I'm pretty confident that we can beat 54 years. Anyway, this guy, here's the deal. He started the race in 1912. He was actually like an Olympic hopeful, but it was very hot that day, and he, like, he had to drop out of the race. But the officials didn't know that he dropped out. And so he dropped out of the race. He disappeared. He became known famously as like the missing marathoner in Sweden. All right. So they didn't know what happened to him. He was gone. After 50 years, they found out he was still alive, called him up, invited him to come back, and he finished the marathon in 1967. That's why it took 54 years. He was 75 years old when he finished the marathon. And I love his quote here. He said, uh, this is a quote, direct quote. It was a long trip. Seems like a little bit of little, not not, and that was a, that was a little under underselling it. That was a long trip, 54 years to finish the marathon. Anyway, anyway, the Bible talks about this race that we are all in, and uh, the Bible is looking forward to the victors in Revelation cha- chapter 21. And look, it's a stark reality. We are all in a race. Whether you want to be in the race or you don't want to be in the race, you're all, we're all in the race. And so, you know, I, I think at some level we kind of know this. We know that the world is a broken place. It seems like there are obstacles before us and challenges. We know what's going on, but maybe we haven't thought about what really is happening. And so Revelation 21 is that wake-up call. Like, you are in a race, and there is going to be a victory celebration at the end. So we got to just be reconciled with this. Now, our text is specifically clear about who doesn't, and that's maybe the most dramatic part of this text, like who doesn't end up being victorious. And there are the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderer, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolater, the liar. It's, it's kind of an imposing list. And, uh, of course, the problem is that you don't have to dig very far down to recognize that, like, okay, maybe you're not practicing the magic arts, but I would, there's something in that list that probably hits a little closer to home, especially when you remember Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he says, oh, oh you've heard it said not to murder, but anyone who's angry with his brother or sister is actually a murderer, right? So when you really investigate this list, it starts hitting hard to home or close to home because... 
Some of these are issues that you may have. Some of these are issues that I may have. So magic arts may not be your thing, but there's something on this list that's probably going to hit it for you. And so a little imposing because it's people who are acting this way who are not part of the victorious group. And the Bible is pretty clear. Like the stakes are incredibly high. There's only two groups. There's the victorious and those who aren't victorious. And the victorious get to celebrate eternal life in the world to come. And those who are not victorious, eternal death, gone. The stakes are pretty high. <laughs> some will live forever, some will die forever, and so, I mean, you don't get much higher stakes than that. And so, the question for us today are, is, you know, what are the obstacles ahead of us and getting in the way of us of completing the race for ourselves and being victorious. That's the question that we all have to wrestle with. What is getting in the way of you and me completing this race? We're all in the race. The reality, broken world, broken uh, us. We're in this race. What are the obstacles? Well, I've got a few for you. All right, you, you can come up with some more on your own, but I've got three. You know I like three. So we've got three for you today. First of all, some of us, haven't come to terms or grips with the reality that we are in a race, right? So that's a pretty big obstacle. If you haven't come to terms with the fact that you are in the race, that's going to be a challenge. So whether you signed up for or not, once you were born, you're in the race. That's the reality. We're in this race, and so you're in the race, and some of us just haven't come to terms with that, and so we're trying to live our lives. We may be trying to live our best life, but there's more to life than just living your best life. I mean, this is a race going on, and so we need to, to end strong, and there's some urgency to the reality of being in the race. And so if you're just going about time, time trying to, again, live your best life and don't have the urgency that, you know, serious things are happening around us and serious things are happening within us, then that's going to be a challenge to ending the race victoriously. Uh, secondly, another obstacle of ending the race victoriously, ending the race strong, is we've got too many goals. You know, when you start the race, when they start over in, in uh, Staten Island, has anybody run the race here, by the way? Any race? Veronica, I know, is here. We should have Veronica. Okay, any, no, none of you. Guys, next year, Avent Hope Marathon Challenge. Who's in? Oh, Mary. All right, Mary is in. Who? Okay. All right, Peterson, Mary, all right. Who's back there? You're in? <laughs> You're volunteering your neighbor. That's good. Smart. <laughs> Love that. All right, anyway, we'll work on this at another. Brooke, you in? No, okay. <laughs> I got to stop asking you questions during the, the sermon, Brooke. Okay, anyway, marathon challenge. Where was I? We've got too many goals. You start the marathon, by the, by the way, in Staten Island. None of us have raced this, so what am I talking about here? I've got to be making this up. You start in Staten Island, you run through all the five boroughs, and you end up right over here in Central Park. Again, for those on Zoom, we are but blocks from Central Park. And the end of the marathon is not too far away. So if you're starting in Central Park, it is very important to know that your one goal is to get over to Central Park and finish the race. But I would assert that too many of us have too many other goals we were running different races. And when you have an alternate goal of then finishing the race, it's going to be a challenge. In fact, the danger is you're going to get off in some other path. And so we've got other goals going on. We have financial goals. We have relationship goals. We have uh, 
maybe you have career goals that you're trying to make. And all well and good, but if those goals are going to inhibit your ability to finish the one race, the important race, then that's a challenge. You've got to know where you're going, and you've got to aim for the end, and you've got to run to get there. That's how you end victoriously. And so some of us, we've got too many goals going on, and it's interfering with our ability to run the race, to finish the race. And we may even be headed in the wrong direction. We're going somewhere. We're lost up in, in uh, Westchester County because we got off track, and we, we should have stayed in the boroughs and ended in Central Park. That's, again, for those in New York, those Zoomers who have never been to New York, Westchester is off the marathon path. If you end up in Westchester, you're probably not going to finish the race, I would think. Right, anyway, okay, all right. Am I do we doing okay, Alex? Okay, I'm sorry about the Adidas. I know. Yeah, I know, I should've, we should've coordinated. What's that? What is it? Uh, never mind. Okay. There, Alex has discerned the meaning of Adidas, and it does have a meaning. It's European. It's a guy's first name and last name combined. First name and last name combined. Okay, Adidas. There you go. Good. We got, you know, we're ha are we doing okay here? I feel like maybe we're a little sleepy. I think that might be my fault. It's okay. I'm going to keep going. All right, number three. Uh, obstacles to finishing the race victoriously. Some of us are running the race all by ourselves, or we think that we have to run all by our, ourselves. And so we're trying to be victorious, but we're doing it all alone, and that can be difficult. Now, I like the running by myself. I'm trying to get back into to running a little bit. And there are times when I like to run by myself, but you know, there's nothing like being around other people and knowing that you're in a race, that you're running together, and you can see this person over here, and you can be encouraged by another person. That is incredibly helpful, especially when the race is challenging and the race is going to go on for a long time. You need a team. You need other people who are running in the race together with you. And uh, so some of us, though, are trying to run it all on our own, and that just doesn't work for the, for the long haul, for the long run. We need other people with us. We can't do it on our own. Got to be together. And so running a race all by yourself isn't going to work. And so with all of this in mind, all of these obstacles, and there are more, I'm sure you can come up with more. The question we always have is, well, how do we do this? How do we live victoriously? How do we run the race that we can be victors? Well, the good news is living victoriously in our own experience starts with the victory of another person. Jesus lived victoriously. In fact, Jesus lived so victoriously, he was doing so much of the right thing that those who were hell-bent on screwing things up for him, they couldn't even find anything to accuse him about, right? You remember this. They actually had to hire people, professional liars, to come in and lie about things that Jesus has done because he was living so victoriously that there was nothing to accuse him of. We're told in, a, in our text, and let me see if we can find it here. Where is it? I have my text on the screen right here. There's a text about G. Okay, it's not here. I've lost it completely. Anyway, Jesus lived victoriously. Professional liars had to come and accuse him. He didn't give up. But not only did Jesus live victoriously, Jesus died victoriously. 
and this is the great hope that we have because of Jesus' death, we have hope that we can receive the same kind of empowerment that he had. Because he has done what we cannot do, he gives us his power, and we too can live victorious lives. This is the great truth. Jesus died victoriously. When he was condemned to die, he didn't even utter anything against those who were condemning him. And because he did that, we have the, the power and the ability to receive victory as well. This is it. First Peter. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't re- retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God. He bore our sins, and in him we have hope. So because of that, because Jesus lived victoriously, but also because Jesus died victoriously, we have the ability to live victoriously as well, to, to, to have that Nike experience, to, to achieve what we cannot achieve on our own. Uh, Paul says it like this in Romans, What then shall we say? Shall we say in response to these things that if God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's the inheritance part, by the way. If you remember back in Revelation chapter 21, there's going to be inheritance. God is going to give, give something to those who are victorious at the end, not, not because they earned it, but because of their relationship to him. He will give everything graciously to those who are victorious. And then verse 33, this is Romans 8. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is now at the right hand of God. And he is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Paul continues to write. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things we are, wait for it, more than victors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Did you catch it there, by the way? More than victors, right? Here's the, so we said Nike is victors. This is literally that Nikon, the, the, again, the victor word, but now it's hyper-Nikon, right? Which, by the way, I think we need to call Eugene, Oregon, and Nike and suggest that as one of the names for their new... Hyper-Nike, I'm just saying. Hyper-Nike sounds like it. I'm ready to get some of those. Anyway, hyper-Nike. We are more than victors. So what happens is, when Jesus comes alongside us and works within us, we're not just victorious, we're, more, we're hyper-victorious. And I don't know where you are in your experience right now. I know some of us are not feeling very victorious right now. I mean, it's been a rough week. It's been a rough week on the news. It's been a rough week in some of our lives, and we may be feeling much less victorious than we would want to feel. But the great hope of the gospel is that as we confess faith in Jesus, God is empowered through his spirit, to the third part of the God family, to start working in us and to, to help us to be the people that we can't be on our own, to be hyper-victorious. And so the brokenness of this world, it won't get us down. The brokenness of ourselves won't get us down. We can be victorious in Jesus. 
Not in our own works. We're never going to do it alone. And that's the why. You can't be alone. I mean, we said you can't be alone. You need other people around you. But more than just other people around us, we need the God of the universe who gave his one and only son to work in us to help us to be victorious. Not just, by the way, victorious at the end of the race, but victorious during the race, right here and now. The promise is that God starts working as we confess faith in him, that God is open to start working in our, in our experiences. As he does that, he starts to transform and change us and helps us to be the runners that we need to be to be victorious in the end. And as we do that, as we confess faith daily, God is empowered to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves and to live victoriously today, not just at the end. And so, firstly, we've got to wake up, recognize we are in a race, whether we want to be or not. There's no sidelines here. You got, you're in. We're in. We got born. Sorry about that. You're in. You're in the race. We got to keep our eyes on where we're, where we're going, right? Make sure that we're, we're fixed on the, the goal. Uh, Paul tells us, fix our eyes on Jesus, right? Because he already finished. So that's a good play. He already is a comp, went to the finish line. Fix our eyes on Jesus. We got to wake up, and then we've got to recognize that we are never, ever, ever alone. Not only do we have a church family around us, and I'm so thankful for that. In fact, I am in a, in a group, uh, Michelle and I are actually in two groups, where we get together with others from our community here, and we talk about how things are going in our race together, right? Stephanie, we're in that group together, right? In that great, I look forward every week to getting together and hear how the race is going for you, and to hear that I'm encouraged when I hear what God is doing in your experience, and then and then you hear from me, and you might be like, oh boy, I've got to start praying more for Pastor Todd. We're in the race together. That's important. But most importantly is Jesus is with us, empowering us. It's not, it's not that we join together with his work. He, he, he's doing the work. See, we inherit in the end. It's God's work, not ours. And so because Jesus is there as we confess faith and we open ourselves, he gives us the ability to run the race victoriously. So I'm thankful for our groups uh, together and to know that I'm not alone. I've got you with me. We're all running this race together. But I'm most thankful for the Lord Jesus who's done for me what I cannot do for myself. And so we've got to wake up. We've got to fix our eyes on the end. Jesus is already there. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's why Paul said it. And we are in this together. We are not alone. You are never, ever ever alone. And so if you come here today feeling a little discouraged after a rough week, again, it's been a rough week in our country, it's been a rough week in the world, it may be a rough week in your life, but maybe it's, it's beyond this week. Maybe it's just been a rough time altogether. This pandemic has been rough and you're not feeling it and you want to get out of the race. The bad news is you can't get out of the race, okay? You don't want to get out of the race. We're here. The good news is we're in this together and the Lord Jesus is with us, and as we confess faith in him, he can give us all that we need to be victorious in the end. There's a great passage in the beginning of Revelation. It's Revelation chapter 4 that, again, talks about this idea of, of victory, and we're told that there are those who have been victorious, and the imagery is of them wearing uh, crowns. Okay, now, I have seen Uncle Arthur... And for those of you who are familiar with Adventist tradition and been around, Uncle Arthur wrote, you know Uncle Arthur? 
but he messed up on this one because he made the crowns to look like, like monarch crowns, right? The term for monarch crown in the Greek is diadem, right? Or diadema. That's a monarch crown. In Revelation chapter 4, it talks about those who have completed the race, <laughs> were victorious, and it says, the English says, there were crowns. And so Uncle Arthur thought, okay, crowns, so we're going to give them crowns, monarch crowns. And so, you know, we've been joking around, around about stars in your crown. Alex has got a lot of stars in his crown. Every morning he gets up and he comes here and he interviews. So if there were stars in the crown, you would have them. But you know what? Uh, bad news, Alex. Different kind of crown. So I hope you're still here next week. It's not, it's not the edema. It's not the monarch crown that those victors get. It's a crown of victory. And a crown of victory is made, you've seen it, the olive branches, right? And they, they, they wear that. And that's a crown that you're given as a victor. The Stephanos, the crown of victory. But in Revelation chapter 4, it says that, that, that uh, the angels call out to the Lord God and the, the people who have the crowns on their head, you know what they do? They take the crowns off and they lay them before Jesus and they get down on their, on their faces and they acknowledge because they acknowledge that it's through Jesus' work that they are victors, not through our own work. And this is something we all struggle with. We're trying to work it out. We're trying to get our lives together. We're trying to get our, 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 our experience together. And uh, the message of Revelation is that this is not the work that you do on your own. God is with us as we confess faith in Jesus. He's empowered to work within us. And our victory crown is not the crown of a monarch, not a crown that you earn, but a crown that you're given as victors in Jesus. And so <laughs> we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, acknowledging that it's his work, not ours, that makes us victorious. And so I don't know what you're going through right now, but today you can confess faith in Jesus. Today he can start working in your experience, and together as a community and as individuals, we can let God do in us what only he can do. And so, may he do that for you today. Amen.